Welcome to Conlangery, the podcast about man-made Lashonois and the mensin who creates them. Welcome to Conlangery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. With me down the roadways is William Annis. Hello. And over in California, we have uh, Britton Watkins. Howdy, everybody. You are in California, right? I am currently in California, yes, and I am permanently in California. Yes. Okay. Um, you guys know Britton. He's the guy who's doing the the Conlangy uh, documentary. We we talked to him about that a couple episodes ago, but that is not on the agenda for today. I guess we 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 can just say like progress. Things are being done with that, right, Britain? Things are being done with that. There will be some fundraising for everybody and the public out there to support the project and get cool perks coming soon. But it hasn't started yet. But Keep your eyes on conlangingfilm.com for that. Yeah. But today, the reason we have um, Britain on is, uh, so we are going to be talking about a natural language, and that language is Thai. Um, and uh, Britain uh, said he'd, he'd uh, like to come on as a guest because he can speak a little bit of Thai. More than either George or I can. Def- yeah. So, at the very least, he can help us pronounce examples correctly. Oh, at uh, perhaps. Yeah, I can speak a little. Mm-hmm. So, I, I just have to throw in, because this is the internet, that when I was a kid in uh, Minnesota, we inherited the cat of a friend of my mom's. And its name was Nitnoi. Oh, huh, cute, yeah. And they told us that it was Vietnamese, but apparently it's Thai for tiny, yeah, it's, small. Yeah, Nitnoi means a little bit, a small oh. amount, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so, sorry. Cats and the internet, that's how it runs. All right, so getting started, uh, it's um, Thai is a Thai-Kadai language uh, spoken in Southeast Asia, Official official language of Thailand, but um, there's uh, uh, diaspora as there always is in uh, other other places. It's mutually uh, comprehensible with Lao, which I hadn't realized before we started this show. Mm-hmm. I feel especially, especially the Isan dialect. So the the dialect spoken around Bangkok would not be as intelligible with Lao, but. But there is, the, there is a lot of overlap, probably more than between certainly Spanish and Italian, for example. Mm. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. I've heard that there are there is sort of a dialect continuum in that area with Thai and Lao. And uh, is there another language part of that? Well, uh, various dialect names, but I don't think. Yeah, there are lots of them. And in different hill tribe languages, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, so just getting started, uh, we're basing a lot of this on a an old grammar from the '60s, like an army grammar. 
Sure. And uh, not an well, not an army in particular. It's one of the FSI, the Foreign Service Institute grammars. Mm-hmm. I will say it's a little bit uh, difficult to read, so we'll we'll be linking to other sources about time, but um, there is a lot of useful stuff about it. The uh, Britain was complaining about the Romanization in that in that grammar. Ooh, us complaining about it is mystified by it. <laughs> <laughs> Completely mystified by it. Like I can read Thai and IPA a whole lot easier than I can read that. That that is the weirdest Romanization for Thai I've ever seen in my life. But anyway, yeah, and um, I will say some of the um, the description of the phonology is kind of weird like some of the terms that they use are also not the terms i would use like when they're you the way that they're using lenis and fortis is not the way i'd do it and also they go into what i would think is way too much phonetic detail they are obsessed with prosody huge vast fields of paper are devoted to prosody yes and they talk about it in in a very weird way i don't know like, this is from the 60s. Maybe this is what they did at that time, but they talk about prosodic phonemes and, like, int- intonation as phonemes, and it's like, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> so, so... It's like wallpaper. Nice people don't do that. <laughs> so, I uh, just, just, just sort of saying, you know, the, do sort of, uh, take some things in that, with a grain of salt and, and, um, but we'll try to explain some things here. Looking at, uh, Wikipedia, cause I can understand what Wikipedia writes about it much better. Um, for the phonology part, at least is, so you have a three way distinction with, um, plain stops, aspirated stops, and, uh, truly voiced stops. And, uh, Britain, I don't know how accurately you'll, you'll be able to do it, but can you give us like three words to illustrate that? Um, sure. So go is um, by and leaf is by. So the first one doesn't get the voicing and the aspirated version of that sounds very much like a normal P to speakers of English. So um, paw, for example, father paw is a paw. It's a clearly a P, an aspirated P sound, very much like what we would have in English. Yeah. I just wanted wanted people to hear that and, you know, uh, recognize um, sort of, yeah, it's when you get a three-way distinction, English speakers are going to have trouble with the, the plane and then the voiced uh, because of the way that uh, English works there and I'm not going to say anything more about that in this episode but um <laughs> uh it's a little bit interesting it seems like this this disagrees with the grammar that we have like wikipedia is disagreeing with the grammar that we have in that so you have put to so labial alveolar and velar you have have both the well Across the the system, you have have the aspirated and unaspirated, and then the voicing um, is missing the velar and the palatal affricate. Uh, so that's not 
that's that's not in any way unusual. I was just pointing out that's like what the system that you're you're looking at um uh in terms of uh in terms of vowels that's where things start to get really interesting. Yeah, so the vowels are off the hook crazy. <laughs> so so you have let's see 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 you have nine vowels. Is it nine? Yeah. Yeah. It's a symmetrical seven vowel system with two unrounded or two um unrounded back vowels. Right. So so you have uh yeah, e e e a o o u and then you have the 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 u u and u and they are all they all have long variants. Mm-hmm. Which um okay, that all well I don't and the e the the e the a and the a is maybe collapse. I'm not sure about that. I'm not. I don't know if that if there was a long version of. Well, I don't know. I'm just looking at um the chart Wikipedia's given me. So if you if there's probably lots of dialect differences. Yeah, no, they do. No, I see what they're doing. They do. This is a little weird too. I would. mm, Yeah, but okay, fine. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Just to pronounce the the kind of the as one of the vowels is a little bit closer to ah uh-huh than the eh in my opinion but anyway that's well I don't know vowels get confusing sometimes <laughs> George right there that's the history of foreign language learning in a nutshell <laughs> no no but this is this this is a real thing like like. The way we perceive vowels is totally different from the way we perceive consonants, but that's that's a different thing. But um, moving on, so it is Thai is a tonal language. It is a full-on contour tone language, uh, similar to I don't know Chinese, which we've covered before, or yes. Vietnamese, or any others where you have each syllable is. At least each stress syllable is assigned a contour, uh, and there are five uh, of these. Um, so, this is one thing is like um, like a lot of uh, Chinese languages, uh, not Mandarin because Mandarin doesn't have stop codas, but like uh, Cantonese has it too. But um, for Thai. You have sort of different realizations of tones for, uh, whether, depending on whether the, uh, word ends in a stop or not. So the, and, uh, a, a syllable that ends with a stop has a stop coda is called a checked syllable. That includes, um, syllables that are open with short vowels. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, in theory, they have a final glottal stop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have, um, looking at the, the Wikipedia, for unchecked syllables, you have a mid-tone, low-tone, falling tone, a high tone, and a rising tone. And um, uh, written, maybe you can you can try to uh, give us the, the examples for these uh, in the... In Wikipedia, they have example with 
Examples with ka. Yeah. So the ka, so if we do the ka's, so <clears throat> there's ka stick. Um, I'm kind of half looking at the tie and half looking at the IPA. Um, the next one is low ka or ka, and then um, the next one is what? That's falling ka. So that's that's all the way from high to way down low. Ka falls, and that's a long vowel too. Um, then there's uh, yeah, with that K, it's rising. So that uh, excuse me, high with that tone mark. The, the the orthography is crazy too. So the next <laughs> one is the next one is ka, which is high, and then the final one is rising ka. So to do them to do them more quickly, um, ka 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 to the best of my ability. Yeah. Uh, it would it would be nice if we had a, a native speaker of time. Yes, here. it would. Sorry, uh, I'm not a native. <laughs> that's uh, that's that's unfortunate because um, the thing is, like, I I can recognize everything that you're you're doing, Britain, but um, I really maybe I will find some clips of people speaking Thai because the thing that I know about that I notice when I hear Thai. Is that when I hear hear native speakers speak it, they actually have like a pretty broad pitch range, and and it's it's it sounds. Uh, I hate to use this term, but it sounds kind of like sing-songy. Well, especially in a formal announcement, like if you've flown to if you've flown to Thailand on Thai airlines and they're about to arrive, they pronounce Bangkok as. I mean, and it's, <laughs> and it's like the, the last syllable of for Bangkok is really, really drawn out and it's really, really, you know, dramatic. And, and the more formal the speech gets, the more emphasis there is in doing tones properly. Um, and there are words like nine, for example, the number nine. Where it because there are lots of other similar words, they 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 usually pronounce gao very very intensely, you know, and clearly because it's a number, you don't want to confuse it with something else. So there are cases like that when they are more careful about tone and then mm-hmm. less careful about tone, yeah. you know, just in everyday kind of chatter. It's not it's it's not as noticeable a lot of the time. Yeah, I just I just noticed that because it's different from what I'm used to with Mandarin. In Mandarin, it you know Mandarin is is tonal, but it doesn't have people don't speak with the kind of range of pitch and the the kind of um as sort of strongly the tones. In fact, I remember when I was studying in China, there was one Thai girl that I met who was also there to study Chinese. And her Chinese, she drew out like all of the Chinese tones, sort of like I imagine must be like similar to like fairly formal Thai. She'd say like, uh, ni hao, or I can't even, I can't even, I can't even imitate it. But if she was, she was, uh, um, like she would say, my name for Chinese would is, uh, Chiao Zhi. She'd say, Chiao Zhi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, there's a there's a strong tendency 
for that d- dramatization, I guess. I mean, I mm-hmm. so I know Thai people who live here locally in the San Francisco Bay Area, and the most people have heard of the wine country and Sonoma County. And in English, it's pronounced Sonoma with a little bit of accent on the no on the second syllable Sonoma, but in Thai. It it goes to Sonoma, so they 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 completely change the when they talk about they're going to buy Sonoma they they don't they don't say Sonoma even though they could with short choppy vowels they they change it to to suit them better and and it ends up being not Sonoma but Sonoma it's completely different so that that's it is more dramatic often especially with non-Thai words. Okay. I also get the impression that the variety of Thai spoken by Thai men and Thai women can be pretty radically different oh, in, yeah. in some contexts. Mm-hmm. It's, it, can, it is radically different, yeah. Mm. It, it is. I mean, the pronouns are different and there are lots of word choices that are different. Uh, well, we, we can get into that in... in uh a little bit. Um, uh, first, so those are the five um, tones and unchecked syllables, the mid, low, falling, high, and rising. And then uh, in checked syllables, these are, um, as William said, um, short vowel that, that are uh, syllables that are open or syllables that end with a stop consonant coda. Um you get, for some reason here, it's breaking out the low tone into short and long. Is there any, like, actual difference between that? Well, in these two words, the first two words that are given in Wikipedia, for example. Yeah, other than the the length of the vowel? Yeah. Oh, mm, mak and mak. I don't know. It, I, yeah, I don't know. But it does have, so you have, in Czech syllables, you can have low tones for short or long and then uh short or long vowels and then uh short vowels can also have the high tone yeah and then long vowels can have the falling tone right on even in checked syllables so the as often happens the 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 checked syllables have a little bit more restriction in what tones can occur there Never thought about it, but yes, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Britain, before we move on, would you like to say a few words about the the spelling system or the orthography? I don't want to focus on it hugely, but there are some relevant features yeah, the, that seem worth talking about. Yeah, the interesting thing to me about I, I've always understood that that spelling came um, to Thailand via. Cambodia, so it's it's definitely a, an Indic influenced Abugida system, but one that was borrowed at a time when the Thai language had a simpler tone system. So what's happened over the centuries is that they've had to use a bunch of different consonants, um, like an H, a modifying H, and and they use different different tone marks that used to be consistent for the tones and used to be systematic are now more complicated because it's my understanding that the, the language has gone from having three tones to, to five. So, so this, the spelling is incredibly convoluted from a, a kind of 
simple spelling point of view. And it's further complicated by the fact that a lot of the language is influenced by the Bali Canon the, from, from Buddhist um, text. So there are lots and lots of Sanskrit words in, in Thai with lots and lots of consonant clusters that they can't pronounce and other syllable final you know, things in coda that they can't pronounce. So, but they're very faithful to, to the importance of the historical aspects of the text so they spell words from Sanskrit as closely as possible as they can be spelled to how they were spelled originally in Sanskrit, and then they just pronounce them however the modern language can deal with <laughs> various problems. They also have the equivalent of a, a little mark that says, we write, this, we write this letter because it is present in the original language that we borrowed from, but we cannot possibly pronounce this, so don't even try. So... For example, in the word, the name Mark, if we're talking about, um, if we're talking about borrowings, um, the, they mark the R in Mark. They spell it M, long A, R, don't try to pronounce this, K or G, depending on um, how you think about the names or the values of the letters. So they, they, they're telling people who, who come across these things that they can't possibly pronounce that you should ignore this consonant because there's no way that we can make this sound. <laughs> it comes there because of where it came from. So, so it's a silent letter marker, sort of. It's a silent letter marker, right. So in English, we might, for example, um, mark E's that are silent on the end of words with a similar kind of mark if we were if we're going to be thorough about it. So um, there are just lots and lots of really funky things. If you do look at the, the um, <clears throat> phonology charts on, um, for the consonants in particular, so if we look at the plosives and we look at the, what's given is T-H, T, um, a plosive T, um, you'll see that there are one, two, three, four, five, six different T's. Um, and for K, there are also lots and lots of K's. And one, there's a funny story about one of the K's. It got deleted out of the language when the typewriter came along because there weren't enough keys on it to justify keeping that K, the K of person. So the K that was used to write the word for person, they just got rid of it and started writing it with a more common K. So um, there are all kinds of funky things about the orthography, and that that in and of itself in Thai is a real jungle. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's quite uh, interesting. So yeah, you have you have a bunch of the 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 T's and and there's like a whole bunch more for the final T, which is interesting to me. So, but Thai the Thai writing system is it just an alphabet? Um, it's essentially well. It's very. It's it's usually referred to as an alphabet, but I would think of it as an abugida. I mean, it the marking the marking for the the a and a sounds, for example, um, come before the consonant. They they modify. So to write the word but da, you write the a sound first, and then you write the d, but it's pronounced da. So it it really needs to count more as an abugida, I think, than an yeah. alphabet. Mm. That makes sense. Okay. 
So because the order doesn't the the long O's and the the A sounds and the I sound I the diphthong I those things all are written before the consonant to the left of the consonant so it really d- is not like an alphabet it's more like an abugida. Hmm. Okay. That's 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 a, a very interesting thing and uh, people who see this will uh, note that this is uh, probably one of uh, David Peterson's big inspirations because he really likes loopy characters. Loopy. Yeah, but you know, in handwriting, most of the loops go away. So they really, they're just a part of the formal history of everything. They don't, they're not required for legibility. Is this, is this a, uh, a language that was written on palm leaves? At one point, or probably, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, it was yes, it was, but I mean, it's been. I don't know that the texts were necessarily palm leaves, but but the but the 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 circley stuff has echoes still in modern Cambodian and other stuff mm. down there too. But but the ties have really in in proper kind of formal what we would call serif if you think of it in terms of fonts mm-hmm. what we would think of as a serif font like times roman would need to have all the proper circles on it oh but, okay but if they wrote in the equivalent of helvetica or Arial uh, or futura, futura their equivalents of those kinds of things then they they would not need the circles for legibility at all. In fact, most people's handwriting is largely completely missing the circles because when you're trying to write something quickly, it's just too much ornamentation. You don't need it. <laughs> okay. Well, that's that's interesting. Um, uh, I think we can move on then to uh, things that I'm sure William's chomping at the bit to talk about uh, all the layers of reduplication and different kinds of uh, morphology. I want to say, as I was looking at Thai, and we'll be getting into all of the the stuff that makes it this this way, um, I think it's really a good thing to look at Thai if if you want to... um, if you want to make a contour tone language and you are mainly familiar with Chinese, like I am, because it's still fairly... I think Thai is still somewhat analytic, but it's not, like, as strongly, like, each... every morpheme has to be one syllable and all this stuff that, like, Chinese is. It has a lot of features that... If I didn't see them in in Thai, I wouldn't necessarily think of them in a in a contour tone language. Like it has infixes and it has um, kinds of reduplication that I wouldn't have thought of thinking of the other uh, the the one other uh, contour tone language I'm strongly familiar with, and it and uh, um, you know single um, you know less than a syllable morphemes but uh let's get into all of that stuff with the 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 morphology and a little bit about lexicon too as we we go through so sure 
Um, as Britain has mentioned, um, among other things that have gone into uh, Thai vocabulary are we first have the fundamental Thai Kadai historical stock. There's Middle Chinese and then various um, Southern Chinese dialects send in vocabulary. Uh, Khmer sends in lots, or Cambodian sends in lots of vocabulary since they were under either under their political rule, but certainly was a major um, cultural center for a long time, once oh. once upon a time. Oh. Sanskrit and Pali, and now, of course, English. Um, there are a few funny things that I ran across. So I'm also using, in addition to the FSI course, I do have a copy of Thai and Essential Grammar by David Smythe. Mm. Um, so I've, I've grabbed a few things from that. But um, a few Sanskrit numbers worked their way into the standard language, but they're used for things like am- uh, academic degrees, military rank, and hilariously, to my opinion, they're used in the names of the tones. <laughs> Okay, so they're but they're only in these restricted things. Then. Yes, so the, they have their normal numbers, and then they have some that they borrowed from Sanskrit, run through the appropriate phonological filters. Did uh, they did they borrow the Chinese number system or not? I didn't see any reference to that. Okay, um, the I maybe I should have uh, looked into that. Uh, but. You know, that's really interesting. I'd never thought about that. But, but yeah, the tones, like my toe, the second tone, is like toe, like two in English. Yes, yes. Because it comes down from Indo-European. And my three is three, just like three in English. <laughs> the third one. That's really fine. And I'd never even made that connection before. But, the, yeah, that's fascinating. <laughs> um, it has a bunch of things in common with other languages in the area. Not too much in the way of affixes, although there are some. There's a remnants of a causative. Um, number classifiers, which are used not only with numbers, but with quantifiers, demonstratives, and interestingly, they're sometimes used with adjectives. Um, serial verbs galore. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has this thing that I have seen in other languages of the region where you have your various modal verbs, want, try, can. Um and in a bunch of these languages of the region, verb, the expressions for to be able follow the verb rather than come before it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, so yeah. Go ahead. No, so that's a, the, the ability one. Die is usually comes way at the end of the sentence. Like you say everything, 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 everything can. <laughs> it, comes, <laughs> it comes at the end. The helping verb comes at the end. You know, it's like this really, it's kind of paradoxical to me anyway. But, it, but it's very distinctive in the language that, that it, it comes there. And yeah. if it doesn't come there, it can mean other things. It can, it can indicate a certain type of past. Right. Um, and the negation of that also goes along with it. So I yeah. blah, 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 not can. In my die, yes, correct. That's right. You cannot. It, <laughs> the, the cannot comes at the end. Blah 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 blah. Cannot. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 kind of fun actually. That's interesting, and and that sort of thing seems to be a feature of Thai in general, in that you have a, a class of behaviors like modals or, or kinds of negation or whatever, and. Lots of them will come before, but some of them will come after the thing. And we even have a few things that are effectively circumfixes where you must have 
um, something before and after the verb. That seems to happen more often in the really formal language. Um, and that's another thing that's characteristic of languages of, of this region is there are many, many registers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you talking to your parents, your friends, your boss? Are you talking to your coworkers while at work versus are you talking to your coworkers while you're out boozing? Um, are you, and God save you, this should happen, talking to the king? Yeah, you really don't want to be talking to the king. <laughs> <laughs> you really, really don't want to be talking. Something has gone horribly wrong. Yeah. Um, to go to class basically to learn how to talk to the king because it this nobody knows that language it's so ornate and unusual atypical so right so um, you have basically lots of lots of politeness levels many politeness levels expressed how mostly with pronouns or i with mean many uh, an array of vocabulary choices mm-hmm. yeah vocabulary choices and then and then sentence final Markers, so that are different for males and females. That's yeah. That's the 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 one thing I knew about Thai before we started like looking into that this for this podcast. The one phrase I knew is "sawadi crap," which I probably said very badly. No, it's no. You would. That's totally great, George. That's perfect. And I I remember I remember the girl who taught me that taught me that. I, I I should say sawadi krap and then girls will uh girls will say sawadi kha. Right. Sawadi kha, yeah, sawadi kha. Sawadi kha, okay. Ka ka, yeah. Yeah. Right. So um yeah. In, in the case of Thai, formal vocabulary tends to come from Sanskrit. Mm. Yes. Oh yes. So oh, you're going to pick yes. a different simple things like sleep depending on who you're talking about will be a different vocabulary choice. Ah, yeah. okay. Um, so it's, it's, it's throughout the lexicon, yeah. Throughout the lexicon, verb choice, the bewildering array of pronouns to choose from, um, these clause final particles, which do an array of things that are interesting and complicated. Um, all of them come together such that a quite simple sentence will be, or what is a single sentence in English, will be expressed in many different ways in Thai. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um... What was I going to say about those? Um, this one doesn't have it, but I ran across a Thai grammar once, which even made the effort to tell me which pronouns um, transvestites used. Yeah, well, they, yeah, that's that that's really interesting too, because you you can tell um, people's sexual identity very very quickly by the by the pronouns that they use, regardless of what they're actually wearing. Um, it's it's super handy, actually, <laughs> um, because people who feel transgendered or whatever, they, you know, they can immediately show everybody and tell everybody how, what their orientation is just by saying, I want to buy a piece of chocolate, you know, like because it's encoded in the I and the pronoun how they feel about themselves. So it's mm-hmm. really interesting. Right. So this is, I mean, many beginner conlangers want to they get hung up on the word gender as it's used in Indo-European languages and try to, you know, conflate that with gender as sort of personal identity. Um, And then they come up with horribly complicated languages with 15 kinds of non-gender, but really what they wanted to do to express sort of identity gender, go look to Thai. They've got it down. (laughs) That's the system you want to copy. 
Yeah, the other thing about it is that it can the pronouns can change also depending on formality or other subtle right. things. So you might, you know, you in in certain dialects, a, a man could even refer to him, might even call himself Chan in a certain context, but not definitely not in another context. You know, they would always be Palm in another right. context. So there there are other things like that that are you know, not in a conlang, but in the wild can get quite interesting. And you you have to think quite deeply about the social situations and other triggers that would change, that cause a change in, in a pronoun. Right. So in the, the Smythe grammar that I'm reading is the only grammar book I've ever read that talks about how you talk in a bar with coworkers mm-hmm. um, versus how you would speak to them in an office. So that, that was very interesting. Yeah. Um, so one thing we mentioned in passing, so we might as well talk about it, is the language has a huge number of clause final particles, mm-hmm. yeah, which do a lot of different kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, some identify that you're making a statement versus a question, and there are an array of question possibilities. You can have a simple question. Like, mm-hmm. did he go to the store? Mm-hmm. You can you can imply that you are asking for confirmation. You are inviting agreement. You know, he went to the store, right? Um, and a bunch of others. Um, let me find my list of these clause final particles because they're pretty cool. In everything I've run across Britain, there's lots of warnings that maybe some of these shouldn't be tried in the wild until you've heard uh, a whole lot of Thai. Uh, yeah, because you, again, like you... You wouldn't say you wouldn't say something like by ter. You wouldn't use that ter, which is like let's go, you know, and with with the wrong so with the wrong social situation. I mean, you're basically equating yourself with or or belittling the other person by using that, you know, or or picking, you know, picking. C, for example, that's the kind of thing that you would say to a small, like, my C, come here. Mm-hmm. My C just means come, but the C means come. But you, if you, you, that's only for like children and animals, you know, like you, you wouldn't, it would be a huge mistake to use C with a coworker, for example, like, come look at the thing on my screen, on my computer screen. You, if you, <laughs> that would not be a good thing to uh, <laughs> This, this is, that. um, actually a, Something that we sort of have talked about before is that when you get into actual languages and you, you start looking at like the, the categories of things, you have to figure out like, how are all these things used? And definitely with anything that has, that ever touches politeness, it's gonna get complicated even with just a couple of pronouns you you have to be thinking about like where like which particular relationships do you use which uh variant because it yeah. it gets it it and it gets into complications with uh all of the um other um sort of social bits that social baggage and all ideas about social relationships and stuff um uh this i'm i'm trying to uh at the same time figure out like what are all these like gender pronouns and stuff that people are talking about and that's uh a very limited 
look at that, uh, that I just linked in there. Yeah. Uh, but, um, uh, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, it's like sort of how, you know, you learn in, in with real languages, you learn one thing in a classroom and then you get out in the world and you discover that it's used in different ways. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I just wanted to, to talk a little bit about this, um, clause final particle that George used a while ago, crap, used only by male speakers. Mm-hmm. At the ends of both statements and questions as a sign of politeness, mm-hmm. it's used after a name to attract that person's attention. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's interesting. Politely. Politely. So if you're writing an email, you would start it with like, Kun le, krap. yeah, like an email might even start with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it can be used in isolation as a response when one's name has been called and the vowel might be lengthened in that situation. And it's also yeah. used in isolation as a yes response often yes. repetitively to reassure the speaker of one's attentions. Like on a phone, you're just going to be saying crap, crap, crap over and over again. Which is the equivalent equivalent of aizuchi in Japanese, which is very formalized in Japanese. Yeah, but Thai would, Thai would use ka, ka, or crap, crap for that. Yes, absolutely. And then we have informal substitutes for these. Um, we have a special one for asking questions of children, servants, or people of markedly lower status. Mm-hmm. But it's also used as sweet talk between males and females or best friends. <laughs> what is that? What is it? What's given for that? Uh, ja. Oh yeah, that I, that's kind of out of my yeah because I've never lived there, so I wouldn't. I would never try to use that ever ever because I don't know how. Yeah, I don't know how to use it. Um, that's not said. You that's associated with children and with sweet talking lovers that is not crazy to me because i mean that's that's all over the place we call sure. we call significant others baby that kind of thing yeah yeah yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, i mean that's that's not surprising yeah. um here's one used by older people to get the attention of juniors um oh good we have a, a special impolite or informal particle wa yes to indicate rudeness anger aggressiveness when speaking to strangers um but you but with close friends, intimate friends with the equal status, you can just use it as sort of horsing around. Uh-huh. It is the particle favored by baddies on the big screen. Yeah. <laughs> and no. used by drinking friends as the evening progresses. I think uh, I said this a long time ago when we did our formality and register episode is uh, every language needs good ways to be deliberately rude. Yes. Uh, and I guess that's, that's one of them. Uh, right. And then that's just one array of particles. There are a bunch of other clause final particles so that you can get piles up, up, up at least two, four layers of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other, another interesting way to be rude and tie is to use a pronoun for like it. And, and it's clearly the context is I'm referring to him or her, or sometimes even you, you know, like. It, you, it's really to use man to use man for a person it can be really really <laughs> really really rude mm-hmm. it's a good way to start a fight it sounds like yeah let's see we have particles to convey irritation things like why in the world um things to make things less abrupt um yes, especially not- f- especially for commands and stuff like that ah yeah nah is super useful and used all the time but again you have to be a little bit you have to be a little bit careful, you know, like 
you wouldn't want to be making a formal request in an in a like to a boss in an office or something like that and use not. But but you could use it with a, somebody who you're asking to do a special favor for you in a department store or something like that. It would be appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we have here, night. That's a, a nice one. Ngai. I don't know what the tone is. Ngai used to. Uh, as a response to a statement or question to show that the respondent thinks the answer is self-evident. Mm. Yeah, that I don't know. Sorry. And uh. contradictions. Anyway, I mean, there are a list of these things you can find. There are our websites. Um, in addition to the, the FSI course, we have links that just has, you know, pages on type articles um, because there are lots of them and they're very interesting. Um, yeah, it's very in, in this regard, it seems more like Cantonese than Mandarin. Mandarin has some of these, Whereas Cantonese has a flourishing variety. Yeah. In, in terms of, like, pronouns, Mandarin has, like, lost most of them. And, like, you only hear a few of the formal pronouns in, like, historical dramas. Right. Uh, but, uh, and usually just, like, the ones that refer to the emperor and his his people. Which, as we have alluded... If you talk to the king in Thailand, you have you have a lot of difficulty. Um, <laughs> moving on a little bit from a lot of the cultural and the um, like, the politeness system and stuff is um, uh, we do have uh, in here tons and tons of different kinds of. Reduplication and reduplication with infixes and all this stuff going on. Um, William, you have a bunch of that listed out. So yeah, some of them are interesting. Just plain, straightforward, perfect copy reduplication is used in various circumstances. It's especially used on <coughs> adjectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So noun reduplicated adjective could, among other things, mean a plural noun. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Um, verb adjective reduplication could either indicate that the adjective is an adverb or that you're sort of softening an imperative slightly. Mm-hmm. Just plain reduplicated adjectives is an attenuative. It means somewhat or ish. Mm-hmm. And then I, I honestly, I didn't spend a whole lot of time staring at the many sort of variants where the, the schma reduplication, like we have in English like hamburger schmamburger, where, where you reduplicate, but you change the front bit or the, the end bit in various ways. Yeah. It's rampant in all of the languages of the region. Yeah, it, there there's a bunch of different things. Uh, let me see if I can find one of the, the ones that... Um... Well, I have a great example. I mean, the, one of my favorite examples is is to, to like faint or pass out. And it's it can be com- communicated purely by salop. Salop is just to faint. But if you say salop salai and you add salai to it, then salop salai is just more like, you know, just get the vapors and fall apart at the seams, you know, like it's, and salai doesn't mean anything by itself. It 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 goes with salop, but you never hear salai by itself. It just is this euphonious, extension you know this kind of partner this twin of the complex that you add to salop to mean a more interesting or uh, emphasized or dramatic or exciting version of salop so 
It's it's really fascinating. I don't know any other language that does that that has oh. these. I mean, we have it for some. We have like hamburger schmamburger, for example. But yeah. but well, but we have somehow. yeah, we have small numbers of that, and like flimflam and and mishmash is what Te- teeny tiny and itsy bitsy and other things like that. But they're they're more onomatopoeia in a lot of cases than than what goes on in Thai. But they're yeah, and they're mostly kind of. Sp- like small examples and in English and um and not productive, but they seem to be at least from what this document is giving the impression of that there's a lot of like productive ones in time. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The some of the uh some examples that I was seeing in um in our in in the grammar is we have one where like. Uh, you have reduplicants with the vowel switching uh, between U and E. And you have, so there's a root for f- to fidget. And then Kradug, uh, Kradug, Kradig is fidgety. Um, uh, I don't know how the C is supposed to be pronounced, but. Like, oh, is it, is it Ch? Okay. So Un- like. Unaspirated if it's just the C though. Ch. Okay. Ch. Okay. So Juji. Uh, no, that's fine. Chu Ji is petty or nagging, nagging, coming from concerned with detail. And then, uh, details, be, uh, uh, root for t- details come, becomes, uh, uh, Chu Jig, trifling. Um, so you have these different, like, duplications with a change going on. Right. And, uh, uh, there's like infixes inserted into the reduplicated form. And it's a very interesting sort of thing. And that was, that was like the main, the, those sorts of things were the main thing where, um, where I was looking at this and I'm like, oh, this is a tonal language. And these things that they do are totally not. Anything like Chinese. Chinese, has, <laughs> the only kind of yeah. duplication Chinese has is full syllables. And, uh, there's interesting things going on with that, but, but not the kinds of like partial and, and, um, you know, infix inserted into reduplicants and stuff that Thai is going on with. And there's even like morphemes like, um, this currently non-productive uh causative has you know several different variants uh depending on context there's the, several of these like prefixes have the 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 causative can be pra pa bang uh or just uh, a regular plain p uh prefix to things so that's another thing is that oh you can still get like Lots of variants of of inflict of uh, of these. Um, I think these are derivational. It's like a derivational yes. causative, right? And right. Then, there, there there are traces, small traces of a derivational causative. There are other sort of synthetic causative constructions which are very sensitive to the animacy of the causee. Mm, okay. So there's there's more than one way to do that. Yeah. Um, so in addition to this 
sort of many varieties of reduplication. And if you look at any grammar of Vietnamese, you're going to see the same sort of thing in the grammar of Nung, any grammar of Khmer, all of these languages do this in abundance. What's also interesting is there are a large number of words which have an expression which mean for adjectives. That means very adjective, where the very is unique to that word or is unique to a small number of words and occurs in no other place in the language. So, for example, to say some, to say something very much, much is just not. So, chalk mock, I like it a lot. Chalk mock mock is I like it very much. Chalk mock my is I really like it a lot. And the my goes with mock as the, its counterpart um, to complement it. But again, it's just this euphonious suffix that is is special for for mock. It's right. a partner, kind of a sibling to mock. You could say mock mock, but you could also say mock my, which just sounds better in certain circumstances and right. a little bit more sincere. Um, yeah, and and some of them have no. There's plenty that have no obvious phonetic relationship to the word that they're intensifying. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of this going on. I have a, another document linked here that we'll put in the show notes called the Decorative Morphology in Khmer, and mm-hmm. It just talks about these kinds of special intensifiers that apparently have no motivation other than aesthetics. They're just decorative. This yeah. is just, it just sounds yeah. nice. It, it fits oh, yeah. the rhythm better. Right, exactly. And that's one thing about Thai that no other languages that, that have. This kind of, there's this playfulness, this kind of exuberance in the phonology that, and the 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 kind of options that you have for expression that I, it's just fun, you know, like, and it's lighthearted and, and playful. I, where, where, whereas Mandarin feels very kind of formal and fixed to me. Thai has always felt very light and, and playful more so than, than Mandarin, even though they, to me, they seem, you know, in my own head, they occupy similar kinds of boxes, but but that Thai is just lots and lots of fun. There's all kinds of playfulness going on. And the spirit of the Thai people is is very playful too. You know, as a, as a, experientially to be to be there in in their cities and towns. It just it feels more lighthearted and playful in a lot of ways. So I it's interesting for me to to feel it in the language too. Hmm. Uh, that's an interesting idea. Um, I need to like look at uh this paper more now. Yes, since I want to, I want to look into um, like yeah, I I don't know if um yeah. Anyway, I'm not gonna say mu- much more about that because I, I actually hadn't looked at the the Khmer paper that right. much. That's um, right. I just I just included as a link. I think it's something um certain kinds of conlangers will take to like candy. Yeah. So that's why it's there, um, and it looks like some natural human languages do it too, so why not? Um, yeah. And there was – when I was first looking at this paper, there was another one – I don't know where it is – that suggested most of our grammar is nothing more than sort of human creative exuberance. I mean the sort of grammar that you need to clearly communicate is quite simple compared to, say, Thai or Navajo. <laughs> <laughs> um, are all of, all natural human languages are 
extraordinarily complex and detailed and exotic in comparison to the task they're trying to accomplish. Well, that there is an interesting thing going on. Like the thing that I can think of is I remember reading a paper about agreement and just talking that was just talking about. So like the idea of what the communicative function of agreement would be is to increase some redundancy to uh, in order to uh, Im- improve understanding. But then, sure. but then, like you know, they point out that well, there's there's a slight problem with this in that if it was this useful, then why is it like some languages have tons of agreement and then some languages have languages have no agreement. And Most so, languages have no agreement. Yeah, and yeah. There's there's lots of languages that have none at all. So About half of all on the planet. Yeah. And so that's just a a uh you know I don't know you know being like uh you know technically a linguist I don't know if I want to totally throw my hat in and say uh, creative exuberance is everything, but it's a possibility. <laughs> Um, well, not everything, but more than maybe we yeah possibly considered. possibly it's uh, there's some inventiveness going on. But um, I was just mostly interested in the fact that Ty has these um, has all of these things mainly because it was not what I expected from a what would normally be dis- what would be uh, a a an Asian type contour tone language. And that may just be because I did not know that much about these. Um, right. You only um, know Chinese. Yeah. I know Chinese and Chinese is, is a very limited bucket. It's there's lots of Chinese languages, but since they're all extremely closely related, then you, you miss out on certain possibilities if you only are looking at that and i'm like i'm seeing here ty has infixes which i mentioned before so you know um to walk is uh dun and then dum dum nun is to conduct to proceed so uh this this um infix is like making something more formal more technical or something uh so uh, that's not something just infixes in general or not something I would be thinking of having in a language like this. Right. And now maybe I will think about it. Uh, but, um, and thus conlangery serves its purpose. Yes. Before we get, uh, out, there was one more thing that I really want to ask Britain about Britain. You've been in like Thailand and like use Thai in reality, right? Yes, I have. Yes. So the thing is, the one thing that I remember hearing that I don't know much about, but I I would kind of like to explain, is I've heard this thing of Thai people usually use nicknames with each other. (laughs) Can you sort of explain like what this, this is, this is sort of more a cultural thing than anything dealing with language, but it's, it's, it interests me to hear about it. Yeah, so it's um, almost almost everyone in Thailand 
goes commonly by a nickname, not by their given name. And there, there are lots of ideas or stories about why that's true. I mean, historically, um, like many Asian countries, people had a single name. And then when the when more formality came around with the governments and, and tracking people and family lineages and other things like that, they, people ended up having two names, you know, a family name and a, then given names. And the names got really super long because in a lot of cases they were descriptive of something. Mm. Um, so the names, you know, you ha- you might have a really, really long name as a given name, which is proper and that needs to be the case for everything to be good with that person and their future, for them to have an auspicious future. But then it's just unwieldy to call someone Maximilian, you know, like to for everybody to always be saying Maximilian, Maximilian, Maximilian this, Maximilian that. So in English, we commonly would refer to Maximilian as Max, for example. But in Thai, the nicknames are more often some kind of trait that the parents or the family senses in the in the child when they're very young. So if a baby is particularly small, for example, they they might get the nickname Lek, which is just just means small. You know, Lek Lek means small, as in not big. Um, so that would end up being their their nickname, and then they may actually end up growing very tall, you know, because that was what the growth spurt when they were a teenager or something, but they might still end up being called Lek. Or sometimes the, the names the nicknames might change. Um, but it's it's most common for everybody to be known and and to go by within family and familial groups, uh, not at friendship groups, sorry, um, by a nickname. So mm-hmm. you, it's really quite unusual for people to be called in everyday life by their by their full names. Mm-hmm. And the names can be like an adjective like small, or they can be a word like mouse, or they can be a word uh, like bird or something like that. There are all kinds of different different names that come from everyday nouns or adjectives, but they're you know, you still stick the you still stick the the honorific. You know, you call them kun, you kun lek. In an office situation, if somebody were being referred to by their nickname, it would still get a Mister Little on it. You know, like you would still be <laughs> Mister Little or Miss Bird or whatever. You know, like you still get the right kind of honorary um, address, but with a nickname, not with the full name that's on your birth certificate. Okay, so that's the 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 interesting thing to me is it's like we have we have nicknames. Obviously, everybody. Uh, I I think any any culture will have sort of nicknames, but like the, you're talking about using it as an, as an office situation and calling some some guy Mister Little, and the fact that like I think in English we don't have as much of that happening like the the meaningful nicknames and if somebody had a meaningful nickname i don't think you would ever use it in an, in an office right that's see that's the difference that that is interesting to me we might we might in an office setting still use like occasionally like nicknames that are derived from your given name like 
I don't know if William allows anyone to call him Will. Will but, is perfectly fine. Uh-huh. Bill is right out. No Bill. Okay. No Bill. Because that's my stepfather. I'm not going to answer to that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, um... Yeah, the nicknames are, are very important. I mean, even, I mean, and it's so common, even to the point that in my household here, we have si- a Siamese cat. We had two. We have one remaining. And so he has a long Thai name, an excessively kind of not really realistic, but long Thai name. You know, he has this super long name, but he goes by, he, we call him and everybody who doesn't know his real Thai name knows him as Dex, our cat Dex. And Dex comes from the Thai word Dek, which means child. So, so his long name means child adopted in infinite love. Siamese cat who is a child adopted in infinite love. You know, it's kind of this ridiculously long name, but that doesn't, that's not practical for calling the cat in everyday life. So we just call him Dex, which is the anglicized version of the Thai word for small, uh, our child, the everyday word for child, as opposed to but, which is the word for child that's in his formal name, which comes from Sanskrit. So, so we do the same thing even with our cat, you know. <laughs> uh, my, We've come full circle. Here's here's the fun. Here's here's the funny question. Do you think a Thai person would actually do that? No, not with a pet. No, not like that. They wouldn't. But um, but they they would never give a pet a big kind of proper formal name. Yeah, and, that's, and that's a we funny we thing. exaggerated the cat's names because. You know we're doing it tongue in cheek anyway, but but the, but people but people's real names for for humans certainly they have very long um, formal sounding came from Sanskrit names with lots of chs and other things in them that nobody can pronounce, and um, and and they end up being called you know mouse or or tiny or whatever and and. But their identity is much more, I would hazard to say that their everyday identity is much more tied to their nickname than it is tied to their given name on the birth certificate. Mm, okay. That makes See, sense. I've seen, I've seen Thai names, and I, I know what you're talking about them with them being super long. The, like, you know, we, you know, you see occasionally some, Thai person mentioned in the news and they have a big long name. I presume that those are the formal names that yes. nobody will ever call them. Uh, I so. wouldn't say nobody would ever call them, but but it would be very, in everyday life, it would be extremely rare for them to be called by those. Yeah, okay. By, by their full names, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, unlike Spain, for example, or France, where you might have double or triple names that you do get called Jean-Pierre, you know, or whatever, all the time. Mm-hmm. You, you, that doesn't happen very often in Thailand. They tend to have a one-syllable short nickname. Okay. Well, anyway, that that just interested me. But uh, that's a, a particular sort of interesting sort of cultural f- footnote to me to think that, you know, nobody calls you by the – or – It'd be very rare to find someone to call you by the 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 name on your birth certificate, but uh, in, instead, like even in your office, people call you by this like kid's nickname. 
But anyway. Well, but but then of course you have to realize that once you become a certain age, you become older brother or older sister or you become auntie or uncle or, or you know, you 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 end up being called the nickname but then with a kind of societal prefix that um Oh, okay. That, that, so it's not like it's not like being called, you know, Billy your entire life. Actually, you know, like it, it, it's more like you that nickname then gets attached to some kind of title for what for what you also are as an adult. Mm-hmm. And different people are are referring to you as older brother, older brother bird, you know, or older sister bird, or something as opposed to just bird so you know like it's not there's more go there's more practicality in it in terms of how people actually sort out as being who they are within the cultural context as they age and as their as things might change with their status in society or something like that so again it's not just as simple as everybody's getting called something with the diminutive stuck on it you know it's it's more complex than that when you say that, that makes me think more towards Chinese, where you don't have these these nicknames, but a lot of times people, when they're talking to other people that they know, they call them by a uh, some kinship term or something that's derived from a kinship term or some title that's that's relevant, um, and just use use a title or a kinship term rather than yeah. any any name at all. Right, so, and that's that's also very common in Thai. Mm-hmm. And then if you need to clarify who you're talking about, you would either use the nickname or their full name if you know the full name. <laughs> but um, but the yeah, no, it's also it's also very common for there to be combinations of of things. And uh even a teacher for example, you know, gets you would never call a teacher by their nickname, but you would stick Mr. you would call them Mr. teacher. Or you know, whether it's male or female, kun kru, you know, like you, st- it's so there are all kinds of different things going on with formality that keep things not too informal, if you know what I'm talking about. A, nick- a nickname does not automatically equal uh, informality in in a specific way either. Oh, okay. Not always. So that's that's an interesting. I thought that was an interesting sort of thing. Uh, it's definitely much more towards the cultural end, but names are slightly connected with language, so I wanted to yeah. cover that. Any other bits and bobs we want to cover? I had two more. Mm-hmm. Thai, again, like many languages of the region, likes to use a topic comment structure. Mm-hmm. In everyday normal conversation, just move the topic to the left. Mm-hmm. It can be an entire clause. Um, there, You can use a particle at the end, some variety of na, but I don't know the tone. But in written language, it gets crazy. The topic is introduced by a special uh, preposition, and then there's another adverb that comes before the verb. So it's interesting to me that the whole difficulty of topicalization is washed away in formal writing. Oh. It starts to look like, you know, English when we have to fake it. As for the blah, blah, blah. Really? Yeah. So, like, in formal writing, they add 
they add a bunch of stuff to the topic. Yes, to clarify where the topic is. And given how the writing system works, that's hardly a huge surprise, right? Because there's no spaces between words. Yeah, the writing, I mean, it's crazy. There's no space, there's absolutely no space between words. And it's like, you would think that it's utterly impossible, but somehow or other you get used to it. It's, and it's not. And having no space between words is not super crazy for like Chinese because you like. Because they're not, but this is an abogida. Yeah, it's but then Thai, yeah, Thai is an abogida, and you have like word, you know, you have to read, you know, the whole word out, and and you know, yeah. no, well, no I, indication I, of where it ends. I I have exposure to to Japanese and Mandarin and Thai, and by far, when you're faced with a page of text, the most daunting is Thai because. With Japanese, you have all kinds of things in there to help you know where words break up. And with Mandarin, you've learned the individual characters. But with Thai, exactly, William is correct, it's an abugida, you know? So, like, it, it's really hard to tell sometimes, especially when there's lots of Sanskrit and other stuff going on. It's And you don't know all the words because they're super formal and proper. It's really hard to tell where... <laughs> where the quote-unquote words are yeah. um Thai, it's really hard that's that's um yeah and with the 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 crazy orthography it makes me feel like it it, it sounds to me like it would be sort of like um reading a, a a medieval manuscript before people started using spaces but worse yeah, I mean Sanskrit does the same thing. It's it's all just crammed together. Your the the end of a sentence is marked, and that's about it. Yeah, you sort of <clears throat> start to figure it out, but it is a little bit tough. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to mention was uh, my little um, print grammar here has some fun things. There's some interesting number idioms, mm. and when you say that you have a hundred and eight of something, it means all kinds of. Oh. So 108 huh. dogs means all kinds of dogs. That's a weird number for that to attach to. There are other of these that refer to various bits of sort of Buddhist cosmology. So maybe yeah, it refers to that somehow. Yeah, um, I don't know any of those, but that's what it When you said that, that's what it felt like to me, especially the eight, the 108. Yeah, yeah. There, there must be a story behind it. So I'm sure there is, but it's it's just out there as a fun little bit of idiom. Well, yes. Idioms are always fun. And with numbers, which, George, you know how much I hate. Uh, yeah. Well, I and I was looking at the numbers earlier, by the way, trying to figure out. Um, it looks like, for some reason, it has the so Thai has the general sort of same idea going on as um, as uh, as Chinese with its primary sort of counting numbers. Um, I can share that. I'm sure Britain knows these. But when at 20, the, the, the word for two that the, is used in 20 is a different word for two than is. Yeah. Than the normal word for two. Yeah, they use ESIT yeah, for, two, for 20. You have, it's so, not song, it's ESIT. Yeah. Slight bit of irregularity in there. So, but. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned that there's the other number systems used <laughs> with the uh, Sanskrit numbers and all that. 
Why not? <laughs> Take but them those all are, in. Those are specialized uses, like we would have dual and trial, and other words like that too, though in English. Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, when I learned Tagalog, they use Spanish. Uh, the way I learned it, it may vary between like regions and stuff. They used Spanish only for telling time. So, um, so it's not that weird, I think, to be loaning in numbers for like specialized purposes like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, if we're racking, wrapping up, one thing that I will say is that I think by far one of the best online dictionaries for any language in the entire world is thai-language.com. So I strongly, strongly recommend that people go check, go check out thai-language.com because the way the, the, <clears throat> everything is architected, uh, or, 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 planned in terms of clickability for following the morphemes is amazing. So I, you can find really long, interesting words. And as you roll over the individual words, um, you will be able to click through to go to that segment, that, that monosyllabic segment of what's going on. And you'll see whether that breaks down to a separate word or it's just a, you know, a, a a phonetic thing that's going on, and then it relates back to all the other words that's found in. So, people who are into morphology, it'll you will love it. Mm -hmm. uh, I I took a I I just uh, looked at it to see sort of uh, you know look up some words, and uh, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, it's yeah, it does pretty good. It's, it's fantastic. It's really, it's the best resource I know for learning anything about Thai because you, if you're curious, you can just go dive in and you'll, you'll come out four hours later. I mean, it's really, <laughs> it's really, really fascinating. What a good dictionary should be like. Yes, it really is. I mean, it's fantastic. Yeah. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah. Sadly, I can't play the sound on that for some reason. There's, it, it works on Safari. That's nice. <laughs> but, like, yes, I looked up boy, and it has all these examples for the word. So that's that's nice. Yeah, and if you, if you scroll through, I mean, there's, for a word like boy, there are pages and pages and pages of stuff, but, but you can, um, Look up a word like sleep, for example, that William mentioned earlier, and you'll, you know, you'll see that there are different words here, and then there are examples, and then if you keep going down, you see um, variations for um, different contexts and different words, or sleepy versus drowsy, and what happens with a part of what the particles for to get, I'm so sleepy. I mean, it's just a fantastic dictionary. It's a wonderful, wonderful dictionary. Yeah, it looks good. Well then, uh, I guess we can wrap up this episode. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a long one, but, uh, uh, let's, um, head out. And, uh, do you guys have any last things to say before we go out? I can't think of anything. No. Um, just that Thai, Thai is a lot of fun 
for lots of different reasons. And Thais are, um, they, culturally, they, they very much embrace non-Thai people trying to learn their language. And you can, it's, it's more approachable than you think it is. I, I will say that. I mean, for lots of different reasons. And for anybody who likes cryptic orthographies, you will be in heaven. <laughs> uh, it just looks, it looks quite crazy. Uh, it, or it sounds to be quite crazy. So, uh, yeah, we didn't cover much about the orthography. Might, might not even be easy to, to talk about on the show. But, uh, yeah. Just call it historical. Yes. So, with that, I think we're done. Uh, remember guys to keep watching out for, um, for Britain's, uh, documentary. And, uh, one more thing. I want to send out a question to the audience because this came up, uh, to me, uh, via sort of Twitter. I want to ask people, uh, would you buy like t-shirts and mugs and things related to Conlangery? I just want to hear what kind of response we get because, you know, if tons of people would like to do that, then it might be worth it. But if it's just a few people, then I don't know. But that would be, I, th- I think that might be an interesting thing to do and an interesting thing on top of our, uh, little bit of patreon stuff that's coming in so or just do it on zazzle yeah just uh just uh putting that question out there people would buy that stuff and then i'm gonna say happy conlanging thank you for listening to conlangery you can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com support us on patreon at patreon.com slash conlangery you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. All of those are conlangery. And if you would like to hear your conlang featured on the top of the show, you can look at our contribute page. It has the instructions for what you need to translate and how to send it to me. Conlangery's web space is provided by the Language Creation Society, and our music is by Null Device. <laughs>